I'm Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is Justice, Mercy, Faith. In this episode, Brian Rubin, a consultant, facilitator, speaker, and community fellow with Harwood Studio, joins Christian Citizen editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas for a conversation on going beyond what is by imagining and creating what could be. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with Brian Rubin. I am pleased to welcome to the podcast, Brian Rubin. Brian is a recent studio on community associate with the Harwood Institute for Public Innovation, an organization that equips people, organizations, communities, and networks with the tools to bridge divides, build capacity, and tackle shared challenges. He is the author of Finding My Elsewhere, Going Beyond What Is by Imagining and Creating What Could Be, published recently in The Christian Citizen. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Curtis. Happy to be here. So you made a big decision in the summer of 2019, uh, deciding to leave your job. And my understanding is that you uh, did that before you were aware of the opportunity with the Harwood Institute. What prompted you to take that step? I was actually not only uh, did that before the opportunity with Harwood, but before COVID actually right. um, came about. Um, but, but what took me to, to take that step? And, and I only bring up COVID is I wonder if I would have done that had I not had I known COVID was around the corner. Right. Um, but I was in a job. I, I had been on fundraiser for, for many, many years, uh, raising funds. And I wasn't close to the impact that I was wanting to make as a fundraiser. I was raising money for organizations, um, but not really impacting the, the the people on the ground in the same way that I wanted to. Um, and I was getting burnt out fundraising, knowing, I wanted to, knowing that I wanted to be closer to the impact, knowing I wanted to be closer to the work on the ground, on the margins. Um, and I knew I wasn't going to get there as a fundraiser. Um, and it just was time to do it. Uh, and I said I would consult for a while and figure things out along the way on my journey. And as you mentioned, I, I was able to uh, connect with the Harwood Institute in that journey. You write about the need uh, that you've had to adapt who you are in order to secure and maintain work. What are some of the ways you've had to adapt and how has that limited your uh, what you're able to bring to a particular job? Right. So <laughs> I speak about some controversial issues in the article about sure. things, race and and those become uncomfortable in the workplace, um, especially, especially if the place where you work is not um, uh, created in a way that directly connects to these issues. Um, and even as an African-American man, um, just being less threatening, um, being in a way less forceful, just just different little what we talk, call micro inequities and, and just finding ways to, to, to sort of back off of those things. Uh, wow, they, after a while, they sort of wear on you. Um, and, and, and you just get exhausted um, trying to 
be something that's comfortable for everybody else instead of just being yourself. Uh, I think when it really boils down to, um, but you, you want to be adaptable. You you want you you want to be a good team player. You want to be in a workplace where you get along with folks and you don't cause a lot of problems. But but sometimes things sort of collide, uh, and you just can't do it anymore. In your article, you argue for a kind of um, patriotism that is rooted in love of nation, but that is also willing to contend with difficult questions about our past. Can you contrast that with what you also call uh, in the piece performative patriotism? Right, right. Yeah, so performative patriotism is just we learn to do the pledge of allegiance we learn to to um stand and do the things stand for the national anthem not question anything not kneel um in in you know calling out uh colin kaepernick's um stance in 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 the the, the, the national anthem but we're supposed to just go along we have a script and this is what you're supposed to do. But then there comes a time where just doing all the things we're supposed to do, it's not making progress or it's not making progress for everyone. And and I think if we're not making progress for everyone, we have to get to the point that we're realizing that we're not making progress for us all. Um, that there comes a point that everybody, and there's just so many discrepancies um, I even talked about in the article where, you know, we saw these 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 inequities before COVID-19, but COVID-19 has only highlighted them and magnified them in a way that we even see them even closer than we, we saw them uh, prior to. Uh, and if we, we, we do this performative patriotism, we never call out these things that are still sort of keeping America from being the best America can be. Um, and if you really love America, you, you, you got to want the best for it, uh, not just the best for some and not for all. You talk also about the significance of Black Lives Matter as a disruptive force in American life. And you use that term disruptive in an affirming way. Um, how is that disruption positive and why is it necessary? Um, the disruption is it won't go away. Black Lives Matter has made a decision that they're not going away, um, that they are going to highlight issues of inequities you might not agree with their strategies, the way they do it, but they've made a decision that they are going to be front and present. Um, and, and, and it's vital that, that those things stay front and center, um, that we can't ignore them. I, I think it's so easy to just tune out uh, in, in this country and people just ignore one another. Um, and we gotta get to a point that, that our strategy is not tuning out or or trying to um, silence another. But perhaps maybe it's time to listen and to see where we can get if we listen, even amongst our disagreements, perhaps listen. Um, and, and, and it's time for that. And that disruption is, is necessary. Um, we've had moments in history where we could have made some significant changes, but we sort of get complacent. <laughs> 
and we we find ourselves getting back to normal or the dominant voices take over and they begin to um, monopolize the conversation. Uh, and, and we got to get past that where we're, we're not in those moments where we're ignoring or letting one side of an issue uh, dominate a conversation. Um, that's not dialogue either. Um, and, and the only way we're going to get there is, is, is through true conversation um, where both sides are um, able to make their points and able to be heard. Um, and, and I think so many people feel unheard. And, and it's time that we start hearing some voices, even if it hurts to hear them, we, we need to hear them. You include some historic touch points in the article, among them um, James Baldwin's relationship to the Black Power Movement. Mm-hmm. And you note that um, Baldwin allowed the Black Power Movement to challenge his own assumptions and sensibilities, and ultimately to reach a point where he understood that his agreement or disagreement with the views of somebody like uh, Stokely Carmichael were irrelevant, but that what was relevant, and you're getting to this, I think, is uh, the importance of finding value in different perspectives. Do you see that as a model for the times and tensions we're living in, where we can get beyond our need to agree or disagree and actually hear what Someone's. I sure, I, I sure hope so. Uh, but as, as I tell you, um, I'm hopeful. Um, but I, I don't mistake hope being hopeful with being optimistic as well, right? Sure. There, there, there's, there's just there's big difference. Um, but there are touch points that say maybe we are getting there. Um, in, in terms of you know we we, we saw the recent verdict uh, with George Floyd. Um, but even before that, there was this openness in the nation that people, people that you wouldn't even think um, would agree with the verdict, agreed with the verdict. And that was something new. Now, I, I don't want to say we've achieved everything in this verdict um, in, in terms of being heard, but it sure is a start. Um, and, and it's this opening point. And maybe we, maybe we can build from there. You also talk about the need to learn from Black Lives Matter's um, focus on leaderful organizing. Can you say a little bit more about that and how it perhaps differs from past movements or the leadership of past movements for human rights and social right. justice? Right. And, and and I actually draw the connection to Ella Baker as well. And Ella Baker, in a lot of her critiques, was critiquing one of my heroes, Martin Luther King Jr., the, doctor, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, and not relying – but getting to a place where movements don't rely on charismatic leadership to get its point across. Sometimes we have – too many movements built on one person or one one person's voice um and dr king was assassinated um if he was still around would the movement be stronger those are questions we have to ask our ourselves uh he'd be a lot older now um i guess he would be in his late 80s now um but we have to say, is is it charismatic leadership or the singular figure or this messianic figure that I start to challenge also in the article? Um, 
is it the most effective? Can can we just lean on one person to take us to the promised land? Um, and, and I sort of sort of joke, even even in President Obama's book, you know, the, the promised land. Right. Um, is it one person's responsibility to take us to the promised land? And, and I don't think it is. I think this is a community endeavor that we all have to come together uh, as leaders um, not in these type of relationships where only one person gets to make the decision, but we're looking at a decision that is beneficial for all. Um, and I think that's what a leaderful um, movement could 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 help accomplish uh, in a way that sometimes once you lose that charismatic figure, you, the, the movement can lose momentum. And we don't want to see that. That's a very uh, different approach to leadership development than I think we're uh, accustomed to. And um, I think we're enamored of charismatic leadership in some sense that is itself a kind of performative leadership. Um, and we're living in this information and social media age in which national political leaders, issues and concerns are very much at the forefront of our minds. As you think about leaderful organizing, do you have a sense that we need to attend more to a local community neighborhood approach to political engagement? Is that where we'll find some of that leadership? I do. I do. I, I believe that people who understand the community best are people that actually live in that community or in that local environment. Too often we impose what we think. And I find this in my workplace. I think that was one of the reasons why I got frustrated, even in my workplace as a fundraiser. We raised all this money for organizations that would come and make change, but there wasn't this mechanism to hear from the community and say, is what we're doing, is it still viable? Is it still necessary in the organization? Is this the best use of resources? And those were the bigger questions I wanted to ask um, that being a fundraiser wasn't allowing me to ask. It was, you know, what does the community need? They know best what they need. I, I should not be making decisions for someone. I can be making decisions with someone, but I should not be making decisions about someone's own personal day-to-day -day environment um, that does not take very seriously their viewpoint, their life, what they know to be true. Um, and I think too often folks are making decisions for people with no understanding of their experience. Um, and I think that's why we find ourselves in a lot of um, really sort of negative situations and situations where, while well-meaning, ineffective. Um, and, and not bringing about the change that we're really looking for. So certainly I do believe it's local, um, but I'd also like to add the word indigenous, that it actually takes folks from that environment, um, folks with skin in the game. And you can have skin in the game a lot of different ways, but you need some skin in the game if you're really going to participate uh, in any change. And you should not be bearing change on folks if you don't have any skin in the game. Um, is, is really what it comes down to for me. You write about the need for leaders to be grounded in daily rituals of hope <laughs> that help to center us. Um, what does that look like in your own life? Right. Yeah. So I, as you, as the, the, this article is sort of enamored with 
with Baldwin, or at least the Baldwin that I read about in Eddie Gloud's Begin Again. Yeah. Um, and that just struck me that hope is invented every day. Hmm. Um, and it, it's it's this thing that even though you know that there's so much resistance to change and adjusting the status quo. I mean, I'm rooted in challenging the status quo. And there are powers that be that do not want the status quo um, to be changed. And I know that there's there's going to be um, opposition to, to, to that. Uh, and many days you are not going to be successful in achieving the type of change you want to achieve. But every day you got to find in yourself, find within the movement, some some level of hope that says, even though I didn't get where I wanted to get today, there's always tomorrow. And I'm going to keep pushing and pushing. As long as there's breath in my body, I am going to keep pushing at this issue. Um, and I also think it's important to, to, as counter to that, I talked about breath in your body, but also knowing that, that life on this earth, regardless of your belief system, we're not on this earth forever. And there's, you got to keep pushing. You got to keep pushing. So there's this, this hope in tomorrow, but there's also this push that tomorrow isn't promised. So you got to keep pushing uh, against that at the same time. So they're competing against us. You can't just be complacent and sit back, but you find hope that possibly you can work on it again tomorrow. It, it, it can be complicated as I'm trying to talk it through now, but but there but but there's a future and there's a present that we're always competing uh, against as well. But I, I think we have more control over what the future may look like. Yeah, we have that we have that agency in the in the time that we have. You you write also that. Um, the America you hope for requires work that cannot be completed in a lifetime. Does that longer perspective encourage you in your work? Um, does it encourage me? I don't know if it encourages me because I would love to see some things just go away tomorrow yeah. or right now. But it it puts it in perspective. Mm. It, it 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 helps me know that it's that just because it didn't change today, just because it doesn't change tomorrow, doesn't mean what I'm doing is useless or in vain, that there's purpose to it, that perhaps someday things will get better. And, and you got you have to hold on to that. And I think that's what it is about holding on to that that hope or that ritual of hope that that perhaps this thing or perhaps it's going to be tomorrow or perhaps it's going to be the next day and, and never letting go of that um, is, is, is vital to any work. Uh, but <laughs> honestly, I, Curtis, I would love to see those things go away today. Um, so I, I, I guess I have to, um, to, 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 to account for that as well. Well, what's next for you? And do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah. You know, I, I just want us to think about these things. Um, 
what's really important for me is for us to awaken our civic imagination. Uh, you know, th this article is very future oriented and, and that's a lot of where my focus is, where I want to help organizations think more about the future, um, but a future that, that has a civic imagination that takes account for everyone, that a future that everyone can thrive and flourish. And, and I want that to be part of what I consult on, what I speak about, what I write about, and I'm committed to that. I, I don't know what capacity that's going to be in, you know, some of that I'm leaving up to, 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 to Hope's cousin Faith, you know, some things uh, will emerge as I go on. I was thankful for my time uh, with the Harwood Institute to, to, to sort of think about these issues. Um, but I'm not naive, and, and, and I mentioned this earlier, that folks are not opening the door for people that want to shift the status quo readily, right? That you, you have to sort of fight for your place there. And, and I'm not I'm not naive to believe that I won't have to fight for my place to be um, because there are folks that really benefit from the status quo um, and, and folks that are really hurt. But I want my work to shift the status quo in any way I can. Um, and that's in the different capacities that I mentioned earlier. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Curtis. My guest is Brian Rubin. His article, Finding My Elsewhere, Going Beyond What Is by Imagining and Creating What Could Be, is available at christiancitizen.us. While you're there, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter to receive links to new articles we're publishing and new podcast episodes, as well as links to articles of interest from other publications. Thank you. At The Christian Citizen, we're passionate about justice, mercy, and faith. We produce award-winning content that's provocative, timely, and relevant. What started 25 years ago as a print-only publication is now a digital-first, multi-platform media brand. We've added an award-winning weekly e-newsletter, this podcast, and a growing presence on social media. Now, for the first time, we're adding a member support program, Christian Citizen Ambassadors. Learn more about how you can support our work at christiancitizen.us slash members. Thank you to this week's guest, Brian Rubin. Our theme music is Eye of the Beholder by Fabian Tell. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagray, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Karkoff Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMichael, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about the Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Thanks for listening.